assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given him, both him and Aholahab, son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you today just grateful um, that we can gather here together. We pray that you would open our uh, minds to your word, that you would um, help it to go that long distance between our head and our heart, that it would sink in deep to our heart, that you would give us um, the ability to continue to dwell on your word throughout the week, and that it would be just a balm to our, our hearts. We pray for Alan as he comes, that you would give him the words to speak to us, and that um, you would just speak truth through him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are uh, continuing our look at the book of Exodus, and we're looking at it because of how it pictures for us uh, something that we all desperately need, and because it shows us how God both delivered Israel from their slavery in Egypt, and then how He slowly took out the residual slavery from their hearts over time, even after they were physically free. And then when we get to the New Testament, the reason we can continue to study this is because over and over again there, we see how all of this, we're told, is a living picture of how God rescues us from our slavery to sin. And then, of course, how God works in us over time to root out the ongoing slavery that still resides in our hearts. And so we've seen to this point that God um, delivers his people into a new life of freedom, of learning how to actually be free now that you are free, as he backs them against the wall of the Red Sea in the face of a pursuing army. And then he shows his people in the parting of that Red Sea, how they can be free from their deepest 
fears because God is the Lord of all creation. He shows them in the provision of manna when they were hungry that they can be freed from the insecurities of life to be able to trust that God is going to supply all of their needs moving forward. In the giving of the law, we saw how God designed uh, and, and freed them for worship, for worshiping the designer who made them instead of trying to find life in the residual imprints of God found only in his creation. Imprints that always leave you empty and needing more. And then we saw on the second table of the law how God showed that they could be free to love their neighbor. To be so full of God's loving presence that you can let go of the self-protection and have an outward focus that promotes the good of your neighbor. And then we moved on to see how the laws of uh, justice uh, shows that God, God was showing us how they could be free for compassion, caring for the poor, for the oppressed in their midst, and promoting equity um, instead of just the survival of the strongest. And then last week we looked at the story of the golden calf and how God had freed them to be able to repent as a means of being able to turn back to God when their hearts strayed. Now, Today and next week, we're going to be looking at how God frees us for work. Probably the last thing on anybody's mind on a Sunday. You don't want to be thinking about going to work. But he's talking about how to be able to use the skills and the gifts that he's given to us to be able to promote a good work-life-rest balance. And to do so for the good of the world around us. Because you'll notice that the context for his teaching here on work, and he's talking about all the work they're going to do in the building of the tabernacle, but it comes in the midst of a discussion about the Sabbath, about rest from that work. Notice verses 2 and 3. For in six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be a holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And what he's talking about here is how we do our work, uh, when and where we do our work, and how we are to find rest from that work. And it's clear from, from the heart of his teaching here that I think it really flies in the face of how our current culture views that work-life-rest balance. Uh, and probably, I think, how most of us would approach it, if we're honest, because maybe, just maybe, a lot of our problems come from ignoring what God says here. You know, we either work too long and hard because of our fears of failure, or we just simply don't know how to rest properly. Because, listen, my guess is of all the guilt that you've collected throughout your life or obeyed, disobeyed any one of the Ten Commandments, probably few, if any of you, have struggled with an ounce <coughs> of shame about the command for observing the Sabbath. Right? And yet it's there, right in the heart of the Ten Commandments. And so, though work and rest are very common issues in our daily lives, the concept of a Sabbath rest really isn't something we think about or talk about. It's just not on our radar. And frankly, it shows in how we live. So let's see what this passage teaches us about work and rest. And, and the first thing I want us to see from this passage is, is sort of generic. I think it's what we could call the common grace of work. The, the common grace of how work in general is a benefit to every one of us. Because notice here how God calls the entire community collectively to provide 
for uh, the needs of this project. Moses begins in verse 4 by calling the entire Israelite community to give whatever they had in terms of their possessions and to offer whatever skills God had given to them in the building of the tabernacle. And what we see here is how each person had a unique set of skills. Each person had a unique collection of things that they could add to the mix. And together it provided for the needs of the whole. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think it's important that we understand the process that God uses here. See, God is doing one of the grandest uh, building projects that he will do for, in, in the midst of his people. And, and he doesn't go to wealthy donors. Um, he doesn't go to find some rich corporate sponsors. But he calls on everybody, rich and poor alike. He calls upon the highly skilled and the common laborer together. And he, and he asked everybody to bring whatever it was that God had gifted them with to be used here. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, besides the fact that that's, well, that's what God did, that's how he worked, is that it also ties in with our understanding of the Sabbath rest that he's talking about, which we'll get to in a moment. Because listen, if you don't understand this, it, it will mess with how you view your work. You know, James reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down to the Father of heavenly lights, which means that, you know, if you offer your skill set to a project, whether it's a, a project at work or a project in your community or around your home um, or a church, you're offering the use of the skills that God has gifted you with. And that includes even the most mundane of things. Uh, for example, just to pick a very mundane one, and God says in Isaiah 28, when a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he is leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its spot, uh, plot, and spelt in its field? His God instructs them and teaches them the right way. And see, what it's saying here is God, God teaches us how to farm, Right? And in and, and the rest of our passage here, we see that God teaches some people to be able to create artistic masterpieces, to, to be able to fashion and form gold, or be able to weave kinds of cloth into some beautiful tapestries. To others, he's uh, given people the gift to motivate uh, those, and to organize and to structure them into uh, an orderly fashion. And still others, he gives the brute strength to simply do the heavy lifting, to pull it off. And what we're going to see as we get into the Sabbath is that God here, I think, is calling us to stop and give thanks for all of these gifts, these gifts of common grace. <clears throat> I mean, when, when's the last time you stopped to give thanks for indoor plumbing <laughs> or paved highways? Uh, when's the last time that you thought about all the work and all the ingenuity and all the creativity that went into creating double-pane windows so that you could look outside and see a beautiful day and not freeze to death. Because, listen, we all live in a world of tremendous blessing, you know, where we have cell phones and internet can communicate across the world. We, we have cars to, to, to travel vast distances. Uh, you know, we don't live in, in the old lawless west where... Any given day, a meaner person with a bigger gun could come and take from you whatever they wanted uh, because that's just the way it worked. But you see, we have, we have advanced medicine and curbside trash pickup. We have grocery stores stocked with millions of dollars of food at our disposal. 
And best of all, we have Amazon with two-day free delivery where you can get anything in the world you can imagine delivered to your front doorstep. We have all the beneficiaries. Of, we, are, we are the beneficiaries of the skills and the, and the creativity and the labor of so many people who have collectively contributed to making this world a better place. And very often these skills come from people who at times can be, in their personal lives, very selfish, very corrupt, very greedy, very evil. From people we have vast disagreements with on all sorts of moral and social issues. But in the end, it provides equal benefit to us all. And listen, my point here, before we move into the Sabbath rest, is just to note that God gives gifts and enables everybody to be able to do what they do. And that the world that we live in today is a far better place than it should be because of the common grace of God that enables all of humanity with the skills to benefit the rest of us. And we really rarely ever stop to take the time to thank God for the common grace of all these labors, even if they come from people that you may not like or agree with. And listen, no matter what skill set that you bring to the table of life, it is a gifting from God. And it doesn't matter whether you're a brain surgeon or the brawn who carries all the heavy loads. It is equally important in the eyes of God, and it should be equally important in the eyes of each other. Because listen, without this view of work, we would tend to look out at the world as either all good or all bad. See, it's, it's either all bad and all evil, and therefore we need to pull out of this world and, and, and move into Christian ghettos where we only listen to Christian music and, uh, and watch Christian movies made by Christian people in order to keep us safe and untainted by the world. Or, or at best, maybe we just work as little as possible so that we can go spend our time doing the things that really matter to us. Or we would tend to view the world as being all good, in which case we're not critical of any of the things that have been developed. You know, we just want to accept and enjoy everything because, well, it makes my life easier and happier without even asking if it brings about the flourishing of mankind or not. But what if the world is both good and bad? See, it's good because God made it. And so we should acknowledge and thank God for all the various gifts that he's given to people. Even bad people that we may not agree with have been gifted by God to, to do incredibly good things. But this world is also bad because we, we broke it and nothing works the way it ought to work. And therefore, our calling as Christians is to go into the world and to care for it and to redeem it and to develop it wisely alongside all of our neighbors. And you, you see, I think the implications of this are that we can and we should partner with all of these people to care for our world. We should work side by side with everyone to develop technology in wise and careful ways to utilize natural resources of this world in sustainable ways, to invest our time and energy with, with our neighbors to make this world a better place, rather than just being critical of everything because it doesn't have a Christian label slapped on it. Or on the other end of the spectrum, just simply accepting everything because it works and never bothering to ask, is it wise? Is it best? I mean, listen, I'd like to give you examples. This, this is the 2020s. It's the age of only doing people business with people that you agree with, right? All of their values, everything about them, you have to agree with them to do business with them. And, and while there is a place, I'll give this caveat, there is a place for being discerning about 
for example, one, whether one of the vaccines was unethically developed or whether some products on that great Amazon machine are cheap because they're created by slave labor. Um, cer certainly, we need to be discerning about some of those things and wise about where we invest our resources. But we have taken this to a whole new level now where we tend to judge every product based on the person who made it. And we'll come through years and years and years of online posts to see if we can find anything anywhere that we might possibly disagree with this person so that we can boycott that product and move on to another one. But listen, that's not what God calls us to do here. Rather, he's asking us to stop and give thanks for all the skills and all the gifts and resources that he has given to all of his people that has enabled them to create things, articles, beauty for the collective good that make this world a place of flourishing rather than a place of decay. Now, having said all that, in many ways, that simply provides, I think, the backdrop for what God is telling us here about our need for a Sabbath rest, because there is an ongoing need for us to honor the Sabbath rest, because you cannot live and work in this world without the Sabbath defining your work in some way. For example, the context of this teaching here comes on the heels of what we looked at last week, where the people had made a, a golden calf, and, and they made it as a physical image of God that they could relate to. And so as a result, Moses here is pushing his people to see, guys, you need a Sabbath rest. Because the Sabbath was not simply about getting some physical rest, as much as it was designed to force us to stop and refocus our hearts, and to enjoy God and to give thanks for Him. See, the Sabbath isn't merely a way to distract yourself from your daily work, only to work on something else, but it's to be able to sit and remember all of God's goodness, and to give space in our lives for thankfulness and, and the enjoyment of it. In other words, um, the Sabbath doesn't mean that you merely stop working in your garden, but it's a reminder to stop and enjoy the bounty of that garden as a way of giving thanks to God for His faithfulness. It's a posture of thankfulness for what God has given to you personally. It's a day for enjoying some great food with great friends, enjoying all the laughter and tears as you remember and celebrate all that God has done. And you do this collectively together in community. You know, when I was a kid growing up, the, the Sabbath meant a day for what you can't do, right? It was certainly a day of having no fun. You wouldn't want to grow up in my family. Uh, you can't do anything that would be enjoyable. That's, that's the list of what you don't do. If it's miserable, you're allowed to do it. But if it was enjoyable, it was on the no list. No games, no hikes, no relaxation. Never go out to eat. Just sit and worship God all day. I tried to explain that to a kid. Nobody ever quite did. But, but listen, you, you worship God by remembering all of his blessings. You worship God by celebrating all of his blessings and by stopping long enough to enjoy those blessings. And when you don't stop to take a Sabbath rest, what you're really saying is, I can't stop and I won't stop because if I do, I might fall behind. I might fail. I might miss out on something. I won't have enough. I won't get to where I want to be in life, and so I need to keep on working. And therefore, I cannot pause to reflect on God's goodness. I can't move my heart to thankfulness. There's no space for enjoying 
God's good blessings because what I need is more of whatever it is that I'm desperately reaching for. And listen, the Sabbath was designed as an intentional way of limiting your work. It's an intentional limitation of your ability to make as much money as you might otherwise make. Because you don't need more money. You might want more money, but what you need is the freedom to rest. The freedom to give thanks to God for the ability to rest. Listen, the Sabbath was designed by God to be one giant weekly apparatus that tells your heart, enough already, enough. Enough striving, enough stress, enough drivenness, stop and rest. Because no matter how hard and long that you work, it's never going to be enough. You'll, you'll never reach the place where you can say, oh, okay, I can stop now. I've reached my goal. Never. You'll never get there. Because as C.S. Lewis tells us, it's not even the things that we're really after. What we want is more. But you see, God is telling us here that the reason that we never have enough is because we don't have Him. It's not because we don't have rest from our circumstances. It's not because things aren't going our way. But it's because we've allowed the pursuing of all those things, that endless a chase of exhaustion to become our identity. And, and I think there's probably no more stark way to put it than this. A, a failure to stop and take a Sabbath rest is a failure to believe that God is enough. See, when you don't rest, when, when you can't rest, you're telling God that what He provides isn't enough. And you see, if common grace is telling us that we all have something to work for and to offer to the pool of humanity, the Sabbath becomes then a marker to help us not forget that all of this comes from God. And of course, you know, Moses was deeply fearful that the people would forget this, and, and, and I think rightfully so. You know, just to read through some sections of Deuteronomy chapter 8 that highlight this, he, he's telling the people, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Observe the commands of the Lord your God. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws and decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build uh, fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And notice here that Moses is showing us that there is a link between forgetfulness and thankfulness. And, and when you forget all of God's mercies to you, you won't be thankful. When you say, look what I did, instead of, look what God did. It will mess with how you view your work. Because now it's all about you and your accomplishments. And it's not about Him and how He's provided Listen, we, we all want to be accomplished at the things that we do in life, but the things that we do in life are not our life. And, and God is reminding us here that you were made for far more than just that. You know, for example, if you're an artist, you know this, you, you know what it feels like to never be happy with your finished product. You're always trying to fix 
that flaw. It, it could have been better. Listen, you need to relax because one day your art will be perfected in heaven. You don't need to achieve that right here, right now, today. If you're a musician, your music will be perfected one day in heaven. You don't have to drive yourself toward perfection because what you have produced today is enough for today. See, that's what God is saying. What you do each day with the gifts that I give to you is enough for that day. And you don't need to drive yourself to try and achieve all of that here and now. Your, your better is still coming. This is not your life. You can sit and rest, even in the midst of your work. Because listen, this is talking about far more than just taking a day off. It's a reminder of your need to highlight a posture of thankfulness that grounds you to be able to work without killing yourself. Because what I have now and what I will have in the future, they're both going to be enough for that moment. So I can rest. The same holds true for any spiritual work that we do. It's not about how much you're growing and changing, but do you ever stop to notice and to thank God for all that He has been doing in your life? That is what grounds you to be able to be thankful for what God has done as you, as you grow in your love for wanting to be like Christ. See, instead of pushing yourself with guilt and shame, I've got to do more, I've got to try harder, I can't let this off, we need to trust that God is producing deep spiritual change through rest, not through work. I mean, think about it. Why, why, how to put it how, why do some people make you just want to blow up at them? Why, do, why, do, why does that incompetent driver fill us with such rage? Um, why don't we love our neighbor the way that we should? Because deep down, there's something that we believe is getting in the way of what I need right now. And that's why we need a Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is a weekly reminder that says, guys, stop. Stop and remind yourself that God is all that you need. And give thanks to Him for all that He's given. And then just to be able to celebrate and rejoice in that. I mean, think about this. This very pattern of work and rest follows the pattern that, that, of, of God Himself who created the world and then rested. Now, did God rest after six days because He was tired? <laughs> of course not. We're told He stopped and rested. Why? He, he stopped so He could celebrate the fact that this is good. This is very good. He wanted to enjoy it. He wanted to celebrate. Are you able to stop and celebrate the goodness of God in your life? Or are you just driven for more and more and more as you push yourself? And listen, I know that for most of us, the whole concept of a Sabbath seems a bit old-fashioned. Maybe something for the Jews in the Old Testament, but not for me. But, but I want you to see here that the command to honor the Sabbath is not only found in the Ten Commandments, but it actually even predates that. It's actually part of the creation narrative itself. In other words, it's part of the design of what it means to be human. Because in effect, what we're told in Genesis in the creation story is that even if Adam and Eve had never sinned, they would still have needed to set aside one day in seven to rest after the pattern of the Creator to be able to see the goodness of God and to celebrate the goodness of God, to give thanks for the goodness of God. 
Because he knows that if we get caught up in following his mandate and doing the things that he made us to do, we're going to get so busy creating and designing and harnessing creation that we're going to get lost and distracted by the beauty of it all, that we will begin to lose sight of our creator. And so he calls us to stop and rest because it's for our good. Now, as we, as we end here, I want to ask just one final question, and that is, where can we find this real rest from our work? Because, I mean, this is what we all desperately need. Because, listen, there, there's a lot of people who tend to think that what it means to be a Christian is to have your life all put together, to have everything figured out. And, and, and because they're, you know, basically pulling it off, you know, their job is going well, you know, they're getting promotions, they've got you know, a family in a minivan and they're living the American dream, that they, they fool themselves into believing that they're actually okay on the inside. But you see, it's, it's our goodness that actually masks our real need. And you see, most of us don't rest well because we're too busy winning out there. We're too busy thinking we're okay. Or we're too busy pretending we're okay or wishing that we were okay. And I think that's why Moses starts his huge work project by saying, guys, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Here's all the lists that we're going to build, but you got to rest. You need rest more than you need to work harder. And not just physical rest, but a cosmic rest for your soul. See, the, the kind of rest that God is calling us to here is not always a physical rest, but it's a deeper spiritual rest even in the midst of circumstances that are far from restful. It's a rest that remembers His goodness, that celebrates His provision, a rest that's filled with thanksgiving for everything that He's done in spite of what you might be facing at the moment. It's a rest that allows us to sit with enjoyment at a banquet table that He has prepared, even in the midst of our enemies. Right? That's what He tells us in Psalm 23. And you see, we, we all tend to do this. We, we spend our efforts trying to work harder, to try harder, to try and get our act together better, to do and push and strive. Because deep down, we're looking for that rest that comes when we reach the end and our job turns around and says to us, you did it. That's enough. You can rest now. Listen, that day is never coming, right? Or maybe it's for you, it's when your spiritual progress finally arrives and it tells you, you made it, you're finally okay, you can rest now. You realize that's never going to happen, right? No job will ever be able to say that. No progress will ever be able to say that. We never get there because what we most need is a spiritual rest that stops to remember all the goodness of God. And that's where true rest comes from. Listen, if you feel like your life and your work is killing you and running you into the ground, it's because it is, right? It's because you've allowed it to. It's because you've allowed these accomplishments to become your source of identity. I mean, let's, let's just be real for, here for a minute. No matter how hard and stressful your job is, for the last 5,000 years, people have had it a bit harder than you have right now. You think? People have struggled to survive a bit more than you sometimes think you need to? Because most of us aren't even driven to survive. Most of us, we're simply trying to find ourselves or, or, or to feel validated. And we're, we're killing ourselves, not because we have to, but because we've allowed it. Because of how deeply we've let all of these things own us and define us. 
And you see, a Sabbath is this weekly reminder that says, guys, stop. Slow down. This is not your life. You are not what you do. You are not what you can accomplish. Slow down and reorient your priorities. Check the drivenness that your heart has been caught up in this past week. Stop obsessing over the things that you think are going to make your life feel full and complete. And draw your heart back to the goodness of God, back to the gracious provisions of God. And see, God knew that this was going to be so hard for us to remember and to hang on to that he commanded a weekly routine to keep our hearts in check. Because we need it. And if we don't, over time, what we'll do instead is we'll, we'll think we're changing. We'll think maybe that we're resting from our old bad things that used to own us, but we're simply exchanging one bad habit for another. See, maybe your poison used to be porn and now it's overwork. Or maybe it used to be an obsession with money and now it's an obsession with a perfect family. And, and while we think we're changing, we're really just changing one lethal poison for another. And God calls us out here and says, guys, stop. Rest. Rest from all of your works. And rest in my goodness. So where does this cosmic rest come from? Well, it's the same answer we give to everything every week. The answer is Jesus. Right? And that's the only place that we can find it. You know, you, for example, you remember that place where Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And see, what Jesus is telling us there is, I'm the one who can give you that rest. I'm the one who can bring you satisfaction that you're looking for in all these other things. I can bring you the validation of enough spoken over your heart, and nothing else ever will. Or you remember that other place where Jesus, uh, frankly, echoes the very same words of his father from creation when he cries out from the cross, It is finished. See, when God finished creating the world, he stopped and he said, it is finished and it's good. I want to celebrate this. And when Jesus dies, he says the same thing, it's finished. Because think about what he is declaring in that statement. He says, I have lived the perfect life that you owe to God. And I have paid the full penalty that your rebellion deserves. And, and you could never do that for yourself. Listen, everything that you've ever done Everything that you've ever left undone, everything that you did that you shouldn't have done, any lack of love, any hurt, uh, it, Jesus has paid it all in full. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I have finished and completed everything that you're out there trying to do. And now you don't have to. And if your heart is still telling you today, that there's more that you need to be doing. And, and, and I can't stop. i got to keep pushing. You're actually calling God a liar. Because you're looking at everything that Jesus did, and you're saying, yeah, that's nice, but it's not enough. I also need to do this, because I need more. Listen, all of your deep-seated fears of inadequacy and emptiness, all of your loneliness and despair, all the feelings that you're not getting your due, where you're still fighting over your rights, you need to remind yourself over and over again, it is finished. Jesus did it, and now I can rest. You know, I, I often encourage people who are struggling to believe this, just to sit down right now and just write out a list of all the things that you need to get done today. 
or all the things that have to get crossed off your list this week. Just list them all out. And then after you've written it down, look back at that list and remind yourself that all the have-tos beneath every single one of those items is already done. Jesus did the have-to part of it for me. He took the ought out of my strivings. So now just go enjoy doing it because it no longer owns you. It no longer defines you. Listen, if the ought of needing to accomplish things has been taken out of the equation and if Jesus has already pronounced you good and worthy, which is what you're looking for behind the ought and the must, now you can go into your work with a rested heart that doesn't need to accomplish but merely wants to do your best because it's, it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's what God made us to do. But now your list doesn't own you and it doesn't define you. Listen, this is a deep rest. This is an identity rest. It's the kind of rest that says it doesn't matter if I've accomplished all my goals or not. I still have his well done spoken over my life. I still have his promise that it's finished. And so now you don't have to defend yourself because he's already defended you. You don't have to earn your keep. He's already earned your keep for you. You don't have to prove your validation in your work. He is your validation. And listen, all of the work beneath your work, all of the striving beneath your strivings, all of your achieving beneath your achievements, it, it will never be enough. It, it, it can't be enough. And it will keep you at night, up at night, with all of its worries and fears because you know it's not enough. And you know that you aren't enough. Stop. Rest. Remember, it is finished. Are you tired today? I get tired some days. I feel tired today. Are you ready to stop? Are you ready to get off the roller coaster? Or are you afraid that you can't because of what you might lose? Listen, Jesus already did it for you. Enter into his rest. Listen to the call of Jesus today. He says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let his accomplishments be your accomplishment. If you are able to rest in him, you will be able to rest in the rest of your life. Will you give up your strivings today, the drivenness of your heart, and rest? Father, we admit that we are driven people and we confess that we just have a hard time stopping because there's always more to be done. And very often those lists feel like they have fingers pointing at us of accusation, telling us that we need to work harder and, and we need to get more done and what's wrong with you and you're a loser and you're falling behind. And those lists own us and they drive us not because the things on them are important or unimportant, but because they contain with them the ought and the must of life. And I pray that you would help for us to see that in Jesus it is finished and it has been accomplished for us and we can rest in that so that we can now go back to our work and just do it out of fun, out of enjoyment and not out of a sense of being owned. Would you teach us, Holy Spirit, how to do that? 
as we struggle with maintaining a good work-life-rest balance. We pray this in Jesus' name.